Hi there, this is the Reverend Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, and this is Love to Tell the Story. Confirmation is a rite of the church in which, in our tradition at least, a young adult, usually in their teenage years, affirms the baptism that they received as infants. It's very much a coming-of-age event in the church, and in many congregations, including most of those I've served as pastor, this has involved some sort of confirmation class where I've sought to lead those young people in a deeper exploration of the Christian faith. One of the great things about this for me is that over the years I've had the privilege of coming to know a whole lot of kids through this process. But I have to say that one of the most memorable and, shall we say, perplexing individuals I ever encountered was Jason, a rather headstrong and opinionated ninth grader who, over the course of that particular year, managed to challenge just about every bit of spiritual wisdom I sought to impart upon him and his fellow confirmands. The pattern for our relationship was established at the very first class that year. After I explained all the requirements that our church and its pastor had for them so that they could be confirmed later that spring, Jason immediately raised his hand to ask, Does being an atheist make a difference on whether I can be confirmed? Well, uh, yes, Jason, it kind of does, I answered, and then adding in a very pastor-like fashion, But the question is, if you don't believe in God, Jason, what do you believe in? Do you have to believe in something? Jason persisted. Well, no, I said. You don't have to, I suppose. But it's kind of hard not to believe in at least one thing in your life. Like what? Jason replied. And just like that, we were off on to a dialogue that continued pretty much uninterrupted for the next eight months. Frankly, after that first night, I never expected to see Jason again. But thanks, at first, to strong parental influence, and later on, I suspect, to his having found a worthy debate partner in his pastor, Jason showed up for every confirmation class, every week with new questions designed to challenge old assumptions about God, Jesus, the church, and life its own self. And I'll admit that there were nights I came home from those classes mentally exhausted and ready to tear my hair out. But as the year wore on, I also found myself looking forward to Sunday evenings to see how Jason might try to trip me up on my own theological foundations. Truth be told, he was making confirmation class a positive, lively, and downright fun experience for all of us. At the end of that year's classes, the time was coming soon for the kids to make a decision as to whether they would confirm their faith at a special worship service that we'd planned for Pentecost Sunday. An important decision that I always told them was not not only theirs and theirs alone, but also a truly adult decision to publicly confess what it is that they had come to understand to be true about their faith. Given the continued positive nature of our conversations, I'd begun to hope that perhaps even Jason would ultimately decide to confirm his Christian faith. But alas, it wasn't to be. He actually showed up at our house one evening to give me the news in person, and to my surprise, he was genuinely emotional about it. 
He didn't want to disappoint me, he said, and he didn't want to let down his family with this decision. And he said it's not that he was saying no to faith, but just that he had too many questions, so many lingering doubts that he couldn't bear to go through the motions and say yes to something that he wasn't entirely sure of. And in one of those relatively rare moments of grace that I said the right thing, I honored Jason's courage, urged him to keep asking those tough questions, told him that I'd pray for him, and invited him to come to the after-confirmation barbecue with the rest of the class, which Jason did, right after he'd come to worship to cheer on his fellow confirmants. Flash forward almost a decade. At the occasion of the wedding of Jason's younger sister, at which Jason served as a man of honor. Now, I'd heard bits and pieces about Jason after he graduated high school, that he'd chosen to enter a field of public service, uh, and that he'd done a fair amount of charitable work as well. He'd also gotten married, and as Jason introduced me to his wife and shared the news that he'd soon be welcoming their second child, he also told me, with this broad smile on his face, that he'd recently been asked to serve as a deacon at the church where he and his wife were now active members. Wow, that's great, I answered, no doubt with a certain look of surprise on my own face. But to this, Jason simply answered, yeah, it just took me a while to get there. Well, this week at East Church, we're starting up another year of Sunday school, in which a small but amazing core group of kids will joyfully dive into our program of Bible stories, games, crafts, and songs so that they might begin to get a sense of God's presence in their lives and living, perchance to launch a lifelong friendship with Jesus himself, and it should be added, becoming an integral part of a loving and nurturing church family along the way. These days, there's been a lot written on the internet and elsewhere about Christian education and children's ministry in this current age. The gist of these articles being that the traditional model of Sunday school is long since outmoded. Suffice to say that this particular ministry has fallen on hard times in our churches. But the answer is not, as some have suggested, that we simply let go of the idea of Sunday school altogether. On the contrary, seems to me that now is the time for broadening our understanding of Christian education. For churches to embrace the idea that to truly nurture the spiritual formation of this next generation of believers, we need to embrace a holistic approach in which we welcome our children, youth, and seeking adults into the whole life and experience of the church. A ministry that certainly includes Sunday school in some shape or form, which also involves worship and fellowship within the whole congregation of the faithful, which encourages full participation in shared mission and outreach as a caring community, and ever and always emphasizes the mutual care and support that comes in being part of a true family of faith. Spiritual formation, you see, happens in a variety of ways and in a wide array of settings. Sometimes it does come in the form of silly goofball songs, in Bible stories retold, and in arts and crafts that happen in that hour on a Sunday morning. But it also might happen in a moment of prayer and reflection as, as they sit together with friends and family at a service of worship. Or else it could be found in the warm smiles and loving embrace of, of those sitting next to them at a potluck dinner 
But make no mistake, these will be the lessons that our kids will remember, the lessons that will take root in their hearts as they grow in faith. Oh, they'll have questions, that's for sure. More and more of them as they become adults. And in their search for understanding, I'm also sure they're going to challenge their elders along the way. But that's okay. Faith is, after all, a journey and not a destination. And though it might take a while, they'll get there. Well, that's it for another installment of Love to Tell the Story. I'm Michael Lowry. I thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless you with a great day. Talk to you soon.